Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Joe Lyons of Queen's University, Belfast. His paper was entitled Irish Nationality in the Criminal Biography, 1660 to 1700. Well, this, uh, this paper is, um, is based on my PhD research, um, which is on the topic of the picaresque in early Irish fiction from 1660 to 1790. Um, so I'm looking at stories of rogues and criminals, and it, it kind of overlaps with criminal biography, which is what this paper is about. Um, it's, it's more of a long 18th century project, really, I guess. It's kind of oriented towards the emergence of the Irish novel um, after 1750, but I do look at a lot of 17th century texts as well, and those are the ones that I'm going to talk about today. Um, OK. Uh, the, uh, the criminal biography was a popular form with English and Irish readers in the 17th and 18th centuries. The bulk of these narratives were published in London as the centre not only of the publishing industry but of the court and prison systems. Many London-published criminal biographies were about the Irish, testifying to the growing Irish presence in the English capital from the 1640s onwards. This migrant community is literally registered in the ordinary of Newgate's accounts, compilations of lives of hanged offenders published between 1676 and 1780. Peter Linebow finds that 14% of those memorialised in the ordinary's accounts were born in Ireland. Beyond the Newgate accounts, several longer standalone biographies or fictions about Irish criminals were published in the same period. The portraits of the Irish given in London published biographies were often crude, as is hinted by a title such as The Wild Irish Captain from 1692. Some criminal biographies did, however, appear before 1700, which were based on first-hand knowledge of Ireland. This paper contends that these Irish criminal narratives are fascinating for the critic of fiction as well as the historian of crime. On one hand, they tend to deal in national stereotypes, but on the other hand, they have the potential to construct the identity of criminals in more complex and plural ways. Criminal biographies about the Irish were written and read against a background of the translation and adaptation of European picaresque fiction. In 1622, a popular translation was published of the seminal Spanish novel Guzman de Alfarage, um, translated by James Mabb and entitled The Rogue. This fictional account of a Spanish thief inspired several English criminal biographies, for example, William Melvin's Son of the Rogue from 1638 or George Fidge's The English Guzman from 1652. The English Guzman purported to tell the true story of the highwayman James Hind, who had been executed that year. Um, The the interesting thing about the English Guzman, for my purposes, is the way in which the central criminal Hind is positioned as a quintessentially English figure and as a homegrown version of his Spanish predecessor. Um, And a a similar thing happens. Um, In a a 1665 work of fiction by Richard Head, The English Rogue, um, but this time the narrative begins in Ireland. The central rogue, we are told, is born in Carrickfergus to an Anglican chaplain and his wife, who have recently relocated there from England. When the rogue is still an infant, the 1641 rising breaks out and the family are uprooted and flee to England. And this series of events is based, um, we are told by biographers um, in the 17th century, on the actual uh, early years of Richard Head, the author, um, kind of born in Ireland and leaving at a young age. Um, In The English Rogue, the criminal's nationality proves to be more complex than the title implies. 
as well as being English through his parents. The central rogue is subtly linked to the picaresque and to Spain through his name, uh, Latrune, which is a version of the Spanish uh, ladron thief. Um, moreover, Latrune has given an Irish aspect to his identity when early in the narrative he describes how the influence of his birthplace has had a greater effect on his personality than his parents. Um, so this is the quote here on the slide. Um, Neither shall I much thank my native country for bestowing on me such principles as I and my countrymen drew from that very air. The place, I think, made me appear a bastard in disposition to my father. Um, and the, the principles he acquires in Ireland, he uh, enumerates as follows, uh, to flatter, deceive, revenge, and equivocate. Um, this account of the formation of a rogue draws upon an existing discourse of descriptions and accounts of Ireland. At the turn of the 17th century, commentators such as Edmund Spencer and Fiennes Morrison expressed the fear that the English in Ireland would become indistinguishable from the natives, which was described as a process of cultural and moral degeneration. In a similar way, Head's narrator acquires what are putatively Irish cultural practices and thus, uh, quote, appears a bastard in disposition compared to his family. However, the rogue does not simply transform from English into Irish. In fact, his criminal career as an adult reveals that the English adventurer can be a rogue too. After leaving Ireland, Latrine pursues a career in London as a thief until he is finally captured and transported. His global travels take him to the East Indies, where he is pleased to encounter several merchants from the East India Company. Um, and this first quote here is where he meets the merchants. Um, Swally Road, we are told, is in Goa. Um, at length we arrived in Swally Road, where was arriving an English vessel. There we cast anchor. The English men came aboard of us, whom our captain welcomed with the best of his entertainment. I could not forbear embracing my dear countrymen. Um, so he positions, positions himself very clearly here as, as English, um, implicitly in um, distinction to the, the Asians, um, rather than as Irish in, in distinction to his parents. Um, as they explore the East Indies, the merchants are on the lookout for resources to be exploited. They catalogue the flora and fauna of Mauritius, noting that, quote, the isle abounds with what the use of man shall require, including the palmetto tree. The chiefest commodity which this tree produces is the wine which issues from it, pleasant and as nourishing as muscadine, end quote. The merchants then move on to the island of Java, where they trade with the, uh, the, the Chinese, and uh, the rogue latrine ends up swindling a Chinese merchant out of a box of precious stones. Um, so he's kind of combining criminal and mercantile careers here. Um, this then leads to a fight between the Chinese and the merchants. Um, I've quoted a passage there from that, from that scene, um, which I'll read. Um, Both of them with creases, a kind of dagger of about a foot and a half long, would have stabbed me had not my friends prevented them by striking up their heels, and afterwards with their own creases stabbed them to the heart. After this, we could walk very quietly without any disturbance, going anywhere without any danger. Um, <laughs> The English merchants impose order not through fair trade or through legal redress, but through violence. In this way, any implied opposition between civilised and barbarous peoples is collapsed. The English are as savage as anyone they encounter. In turn, this prompts a reconsideration of the central character of the fiction. At the beginning, he describes his criminal talents as gained in the course of his upbringing amongst the Irish. But now it is revealed that callousness and self-interest are just as characteristic of the East India Company men. Um, and in this way, Head's narrative renders both Irish and English in terms of rogue literature. Um, but what does this have to do with criminal biography? The English rogue, after all, is a fiction and not the memoirs of Richard Head. Um, in fact, when approaching 17th century criminal lives, the line between fiction and biography, picaresque and true confession, is near impossible to draw. 
In many accounts of thieves and highwaymen, the criminal's life is mythologised and the known details barked out with material quarried from a, from a variety of sources, um, as, as Lincoln Fuller, the critic, has shown. The, and the, the stylizing of real criminals in this way often involves rendering them as somehow uh, exotic or foreign. Um, and this is the case with the, the second text I want to look at, um, which is a, a biography of the highwayman Redmond O'Hanlon, um, which appeared in Dublin in 1682. O'Hanlon had been the leader of a band of robbers in South Ulster and North Connacht from 1674 until his death in 1681, assassinated by one of his own gang. The short biography which appeared in Dublin the following year is listed as one of the earliest pieces of fiction to be printed in Ireland um, in the Lobus Guide to Irish Fiction. Interestingly, this text shows an awareness of um, predecessors more widely, Spanish and English. Um, so this, this quote here is how, um, how O'Hanlon is uh, described by the narrator. Um, the Spanish Guzman, the French Duval and the English Rogue were but prisoners in the profession not worthy to be mentioned in one calendar with our Irish grandee. They owed their proficiency in wickedness to time, custom and evil conversation, whereas our land, Picaroon, came into the world naturally stored with all sorts of vice. Um, maybe a couple of things to unpack that. Um, that word puisnes, which I hadn't heard before, um, means like uh, subordinates or inferiors. Um, so it's basically kind of putting our handle kind of above these other um, past criminals in, in the hierarchy of rogues. Um, Picaroon um, is derived from the Spanish picaro, which means rogue. Um, it's the same root as the word picaresque. Um, interesting thing for me here is that... Um, O'Hanlon is framed as an Irish rogue in opposition to examples from other countries, two fictional, uh, Guzman and the English rogue, and one real highwayman, Claude Duval. If O'Hanlon is compared to the English rogue, um, then these two criminals would seem to be quite different kinds of rogue. Latrina is the son of English parents, and although he takes on Irish ways, we are reminded of the limitations of this uh, identity when he returns to the country as an adult um, and describes Dublin as, quote, a place where he is neither acquainted with the people or their language. O'Hanlon, on the other hand, was descended from a noble family in Armagh who lost their lands during the Cromwellian settlement. The ancestral lordship of the O'Hanlons is recalled by the reference to Redmond in the biography um, as our Irish grandee. He is also described as a Tory in the, in the long title of the biography, which I didn't read out. Um, Tory in this context meaning bandit or outlaw. Royal proclamations were issued for the arrest of O'Hanlon's band, in 1678 and 1679. In the biography, he opposes himself to the country's administration as he and his gang, quote, entered themselves into an offensive and defensive league against the king, the laws, and all honest men, end quote. Um, so he's depicted as someone who both operates outside the law and uh, represents opposition to, to English rule. Um, however, the criminal biography constructs O'Hanlon as a more ambivalent figure who also unexpectedly possesses an English dimension. Um, we are told, for example, that he speaks English as well as Irish, um, and this is kind of um, described as, as notable or unusual or testament to his um, particular talents. Um, it was his good fortune to be educated in his youth in an English school where he attained to so complete a perfection in that language that it might have proved of great advantage to him at his latter end. On one level, this detail signals that in Restoration Ireland, the English language was increasingly spoken further and further down the social scale and was making inroads into areas of the country remote from Dublin. However, bilingualism is also a conventional feature of the criminal biography, in which rogues often will travel in foreign countries and in the process acquire languages. 
Um, this happens, for example, in a 1680 biography of uh, Thomas Dangerfield, the highwayman. Um, there's quite a few biographies of Dangerfield. This is perhaps one of the, the more fictionalised ones. Um, and it's, it's claimed that Dangerfield has a kind of Spanish alias, uh, um, Don Tomaso, um, because of his time that he spent in Spain. Um, he's, he has apparently uh, put his name into the Spanish garb. Um, but we're reminded that he was uh, by birth of English parents born in Essex. Um, in the biography of I. Hanlon, meanwhile, um, speaking English enables the Tory to uh, pretend to be a soldier um, throughout the biography in order to uh, kind of blend in and escape capture. Um, in this scene, for example, he disguises himself in this way. Um, he espied an English house not far from the road, and thither he hasted, and, alighting confidently at the gate, desired to speak with the gentleman of the house who civilly saluting him, Hanlon, with great assurance, told him that he commanded a party in chase of the famous Tory, Hanlon, that they had rid all night, and in the dark he had lost his company, and being almost faint with hunger and travel, he begged the favour of him to suffer him to take an hour's repose in his house. Pretending to be an army officer, I Hanlon demonstrates a facility with language and disguise, which enables him to cross social boundaries, from Gaelic to English, highwayman to law enforcer, his courteous but deceptive speech is a reminder of the linguistic skills of Latrine and the English rogue, reinforcing the idea of O'Hanlon as a hybrid figure in national terms. Um, and I just want to take a brief excursion into the, into the 18th century now to, to look at a later biography of O'Hanlon. Um, this is from John Cosgrave's collection, um, Irish Highwaymen, Tories and Rapparees. It's, it's perhaps the, the better-known biography of Redmond O'Hanlon, um, from 1747. In, uh, in Cosgrave's version, O'Hanlon gives up his criminal ways when he's given the king's protection. Um, and we're told that uh, during this period, O'Hanlon is, quote, very inoffensive in the country and kept company with some of the best gentlemen in the kingdom, who not only took great pleasure in hearing him relate his exploits, but caressed and made much of him. Um, I think it's significant here as well that his, his speech is mentioned, so he's... he's uh, considered kind of a, a good figure in social circles because he's able to um, tell his stories of his exploits um, and this impresses people. Um, the Tory here is apparently transformed into a polite gentleman patronised by king and aristocracy um, and in the process surely losing his outlaw status. This 18th century permutation of the O'Hanlon story, I would argue, is forecast in the 1682 version in which O'Hanlon is a fugitive but nevertheless is able to feign membership of the Protestant law-enforcing classes. What was originally a strategy of disguise is recast by Cosgrove into the open acceptance of the Tory by the elites. In both of the biographies of O'Hanlon, a feature of his identity is his ability to speak civilly or politely. In turn, this reminds us of the aristocratic connotations of Tories um, as uh, Irish grandees in the words of the biography. Critics considering the rogue as a figure in Irish culture tend to look for the origins of this trope in folk tales or criminal biographies about Tories and rapparees. Um, for example, in her study, the comic Irishman Maureen Waters identifies the outlaw or Tory as, a quote, one of the great archetypes of Irish literature. This figure is traced through the oral tradition to Cosgrave's biographies and then into the Irish novel. Waters stresses the anti-colonial significance of rogues. Um, in her words, uh, rogues held out the possibility of change, of rescue, of driving out the English settlers. In this paper, I have contended instead that the Irish rogue figure, from its first printed manifestations in the Restoration, is most characteristically given a mixed identity, constituted by overlapping English and Irish cultural influences. In Head's fiction, the rogue is placed among the merchants of the East India Company, 
and had revealed to share his mobile and predatory nature with the colonial adventurer. The 1682 biography of O'Hanlon builds him as a national rogue, our land picaroon, in contradistinction to English, French and Spanish examples. Although as a Tory, O'Hanlon represents resistance, he also skillfully hides his Irishness, passes as English and moves easily between different cultural zones. Later biographers would emphasise the adaptable and acceptable side of O'Hanlon by converting him from an outlaw to a high society gentleman. Thank you.